Hi folks, this is Bob Main, and welcome to today's Survival Show. Episode number 144, I think. I'm fairly sure about that. Can't be 100% sure, because as I often do, I'm driving down the freeway, uh, spending some windshield time as I'm going to a business appointment to talk to you about some more preparedness skills. But I'm sure that once you downloaded it, you figured out what episode. But I'm fairly sure it's episode number 144. If you're a relatively new listener, this is a practical show. I don't go tinfoil hat on you. I don't do that. I don't get into conspiracy theories and and stuff like that and whacked out garbage. I just keep this rooted in common sense because I'm just an everyday guy and that's kind of the point of view that you get from me regarding survival and preparedness skills. Now, skills is what this program is about. And I've said numerous times that I really believe what you know and what you know how to do can be as important as the supplies that you possess. Now, as preppers, many of us, we learn to store food and store water and grow gardens and stay out of debt and find alternative ways to heat and cool our homes And we learn how to survive in the wilderness if we have to. And we learn first aid practices and uh, and different skills and things like that so we can treat injuries if they happen either while we're out in the wilderness or if it's just a a stink-hit-the-fan event and people get injured, you need to know how how to deal with that. And we have supplies for those things, don't we? Some of us who raise animals, okay, we got supplies and we got food and we got things that we need, materials that we need to raise our animals, don't we? And, you know, I'm sure you'd probably agree that all of that stuff is important. What do you know how to do with those supplies? I think, you know, and and there's a great thread on our forum that I think I'm going to revive pretty soon because there hasn't been very many posts on it lately. And that thread is about alternative uses for different types of supplies. Ways to use them unconventionally. How do you use things for purposes that they weren't meant for, but they still can be very effective? That's using brain power. Is it not? So I want to talk about brain power, specifically self-defense brain power. Recently over Memorial Day weekend... I had the pleasure of taking a two-day handgun defensive training class. Now, this show, today's survival show, is not all about guns. You know, some, some survivalists take the attitude that if you have plenty of guns and plenty of ammo and some MREs and access to water, that that's all you need. I'll be fine. In fact, you even have some people, and this really bothers me, They feel that they don't need to stock up on supplies very much because they can take it all by force. And as long as they have an AK-47 or an AR-15, a couple of good handguns, and tons and tons of ammo, they can just go take from people whatever they need. Bad idea. I think that's a bad idea. 
The reason is because there's probably going to be enough violence that's going to take place after some kind of a, a crap-hit-the-fan event. Why would you want to add to it? I just think it's a bad idea. I just I don't believe in that, first of all, and I don't think it's very smart. But there are people who believe that way. So I try not to make this show about firearms. I'll say this, though. Firearms and firearms training should be one of your preps. It should be something that you hone your skills and develop. If you are in an area where you can legally own firearms, which is most places, not every place. I know I have international listeners that tune into this from countries that can't own firearms. I realize that, and I realize there's some very restrictive states here in the United States that don't allow ownership or carry of firearms, or they they make it very difficult, to say the least. But if you happen to be in an area, and this is becoming a more gun-friendly society, folks, where you are in a gun-friendly area, you need to know this stuff. I really believe you do. And it should be one of your preps, and it should not be something that you neglect. So, I made myself a list of survival goals this year, and I suggest that you do the same. We all need to have goals, don't we, folks? You know, our brain is a goal-oriented device, if you think about it that way. You need to have a sense of accomplishment and achievement. And it's no different, folks. I mean, I'm in sales for a living. Okay, I sell electronic locking equipment and access control equipment. I sell security products. And in sales, you have to have a goal... In anything, you need to have a goal. If you're in sports, you're hey, if you're involved in team sports, don't you guys have goals? Even if you're involved in individual sports, you need to have a set of achievements that you wish to accomplish, don't you? I mean, does that make sense? You know, have you noticed that people who are goal-oriented and they're focused on that and they've got them written down and they have a passion and a drive and nothing's going to stop them from achieving that goal. Have you noticed that they're the ones that seem to be the most successful in life? And I believe that survival starts now before something bad happens. If you prepare now, then when something bad does occur, then you're, you know, you're ahead of the game. You'll be able to mitigate the damages versus somebody who stuck their head in the sand like an ostrich, not paying attention, had normalcy bias and said, oh, this can't happen to me. And then when it happens, oh my God, I can't believe it, it's happening to me. I'm sure you know people like that. But the ones that are the most successful that survive now and survive well and live well have the best goals and they're, they're motivated to achieve those goals. So one of mine was to take three training classes this year. One of the training classes that I wanted to take involved sharpening my firearms skills. So what you're going to hear in this episode is sort of a rebroadcast. If some of you listen to the other podcast that I do called The Handgun World Show, and that is all about guns, it's at handgunworld.com. If you listen to that show, then you've already heard what you're going to hear uh, this week on this program right now on today's survival show. But if you don't listen to the other podcast, I felt this was important enough for you to hear. Because if you do decide, or if you've taken a class like this, it could be a review for you. If you do decide, and I strongly encourage you, 
then you're going to kind of get a taste of what will be in store for you. Let me ask you all a question. How many of you carry a piece of plastic in your wallet that says concealed handgun license or, you know, concealed weapons permit or whatever they want to call it? How many of you have one? You know, recently I was listening to Dave Ramsey and I I love to listen to his radio show. And he was telling a, a person who called in that he only carries four pieces of plastic in his wallet. He said the four pieces of plastic that he has in his wallet. Number one, his driver's license. Number two, his personal debit card. Number three, his business debit card. And number four, his concealed handgun permit. I thought, hey, cool. I like that. That's good. Um, he is He's exercising his Second Amendment rights, isn't he? So, how many of you have one of those pieces of plastic? You should, if you live in a state that allows concealed carry, and they're reasonable about granting you the license, you should have it. That's a preparation I do not believe that you should be without. Especially after the stink hits the fan real bad. When that stinky stuff is flying around in a bad way, I'm telling you folks, how many times have you seen it, people are going to get stressed out. People are going to do things that they don't normally do. They're going to get violent. There are people who are unprepared that will resort to violence because they are desperate. And you better be ready. What's going to happen to you and your family in that situation if you're not ready? So that's one of the goals I had was to sharpen those skills. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to play for you some audio from that two-day class that I took. This was on the range, so you're going to hear some wind noise because it was a very windy day. Uh, I apologize for that in advance. There is some wind noise that I just couldn't do anything about. I tried to get into areas that weren't quite so windy, but I just couldn't get away from it. And you're going to hear some shooting in the background because this was taken or this was recorded at at the shooting range where we were doing our two-day uh, concealed handgun, or excuse me, our two-day defensive handgun course. And the name of the class is Close Range Gunfighting by Suarez International. You know, when I first looked at that name, I thought, oh, gunfighting. And there are some people, there are some mamby-pamby people that would, that would read that title and go, oh, boy, gunfighting. Oh, no. Boy, they're teaching some violent stuff. No, we we were not teaching violent stuff. When you hear this recording, you'll understand that we're a bunch of reasonable people. Okay? We are. We're not savages. We're reasonable people. And we want to live. And so we're learning how to keep ourselves alive if things get violent. Let's face it. If somebody wants to harm you or kill you, isn't it a fight by that time? Wouldn't you agree that you're probably engaged in a fight? A fight for your life? I mean, let's call it what it is. Let's not pull punches here. Let's just say it's a fight. If somebody wants to kill you or a member of your family or a loved one, it's a fight, ladies and gentlemen. So I think this course is appropriately named Close Range Gunfighting by Suarez International. It was two days. So you're going to hear a little break before I play the audio. You're also, in the middle of this, you're going to hear some breaks, and you're also going to hear some advertisements. 
because this also came from my show, the Handgun World Show, which is on the Gun Rights Radio Network. So whenever I use material for that show, I have an agreement because I'm part of the Gun Rights Radio Network that I that I play some of the ads from them. They're not too long. Okay, I don't like this show to be very commercial. And so you'll hear that in a minute. I want to say before we get started with those interviews at the range and the, and the lecture portion, if you'd like to support my efforts here at today's survival show, if you'd like to financially help out, I would really appreciate that. There are costs in doing this show. There's my time that's involved in doing this show. The Survival Champions Club is a group of survival ideas that I've put together. It's an exclusive podcast. If you want to be a member of my Survival Champions Club, all you have to do is go to todayssurvival.com, click the Buy Now button, invest $15, and you're going to get a couple of hours worth of excellent survival techniques and ideas that I have not covered on previous episodes on this show. Okay, in addition, I've got some books I'm going to give away. So you're going to get your name put into a raffle, and I'm going to wait a few weeks before I announce which books I'm giving away. But everybody, from uh, this point on, I'm going to keep track of whoever invests in my Survival Champions Club exclusive podcast, and you will get an entry for each person that uh, that invests the $15, you'll get an, an entry to win a good preparedness book. Uh, there's going to be probably four book giveaways, and uh, some of them might be ebooks, and some of them might be just hardbound or paperback-bound books. Haven't got it all nailed down yet, so I'm not going to divulge details, but you will hear within a couple of weeks what those are going to be. All right, so go to todayssurvival.com, click the Buy Now button, order your copy, and I will send you an email with instructions on how to download it, and you can keep it forever and do whatever you want with it, folks, after you uh, download it. With that said, here we go. Just a quick intermission, and then some audio from close-range gunfighting over Memorial Day weekend. Don't go away. It was one of the worst mass murders committed by a single person. It happened down south. A lunatic killed 27 people, including his own mother, in a single pass. The killer used a six-shot revolver and a knife. Mass murderers find whatever tools they need, and those tools don't need to be sporting rifles or high-capacity clips. A slow, reloading revolver is all this fellow needed. Banning clips will not prevent a madman's massacre. But that doesn't matter to the gun control industry who thinks inanimate objects are evil, but ignore the deranged people who misuse them. Arm yourself with facts to strip the gun control industry bare. Visit gunfacts.info and get your free copy of Gun Facts. Called Indispensable by Cam Edwards of NRA News, Gun Facts is your rapid reference guide to debunking gun control myths and shaming politicians into obedience www.gunfacts.info So what do you think so far? So far so good. Yeah, this is a lot of fun. What, what, what part about it is fun? What do you like? What have you learned so far now? We're at uh, we're only at 11 o'clock on the first day. What have you learned? I've learned that if I hold that gun right up against my ribs yeah, and that the first shot is going to make my slide jam. The first shot, the first shot's what? The first, the first shot... 
caused my slide to hit my ribs. So well, that's why I, you got to angle it out a little bit. I didn't bit. do that. So did it hurt? No, no, it didn't jab you, but but it jammed because you didn't hold it out. Yeah, yeah. You're talking about shooting from exactly. basically shooting from retention, right? And well, so you got to tilt you up against your rib cage. Yep. So you got to tilt it out about 15 degree angle. Do, I didn't tilt it out. Okay. Well, I forgot your first name. Greg. Okay. Yeah. And see, the thing is, is that if you if you tilt it out like that. You also you can you get better recoil control too that way, don't you? I would I would think so. Yeah, I think you. Do. I've never shot it like that. You know, IDPA we shoot it you know a little bit further out in front of you from right like right, right. Here, you know that ninety degree. Yeah. But yeah. Good, Scott. Yes. First day. Uh, first first uh, three hour recap. Um, I definitely need to dry practice more. Okay. Um. <laughs> well, so we're gonna we're, we're gonna do dry practice here yeah. pretty soon. So far, it's pretty fun. Learning a lot, so... Good. Nah. Good. Magnus, come on over. First of all, Magnus Magnus loves to get on the forum. You've been on there, You've been on there a bunch, haven't you? Yeah, for, for a while. And sending me emails. So, the first uh, two or three hours, what's it been like? Yeah, it's been really good. Uh, I know I need to practice more of workmanship skills, that's for yeah. sure. What, what now... What did you think about shooting like this from retention? What, how did that work for you? It worked fine. I've done uh, at least a couple times before. So it wasn't completely foreign. It was a little closer up to, compared to other classes I've been to. But you got really, really close. Well, the reason is because we were like practically right on top of the target. Right, yeah, exactly. that was. Uh, I've, I've never shot the gun right up, you know, touching my rib cage like that before. I've never you mean when the gun's touching your rib cage? Right. But could you see yourself possibly in that situation? Yeah, I can imagine, especially if somebody was in really close, had, had, had closed, you know, that, that personal space between us where you just kind of have time to do right. that. You know, at EPA, you know, we're always a little out in front. Exactly. But this was like really right up. And you know, that's one of the things I like about classes like this is because you practice what happens if someone invades that personal space and closes you off. Yeah. And, you know, I mean, like you said, in IDPA matches, they don't typically have a stage like that. Right. To where you've got your forehead on someone's... Right. And you have a part of your body, you know, kind of forward of your muzzle almost when you, when you start... I mean, yeah. So, being your hand. Yeah. And, and you don't practice a lot shooting them in the pelvic area, do you? Nope. No, that was, it was good that he clarified that that's still a BS to be shooting in the pelvis, or aiming for the pelvis. And it's... And it's Assuming it's my shattered the pelvis with a handgun caliber. Oh yeah, I almost had a senior moment. Who's ever heard of the 25 cent trigger job with the Glock? Oh yeah. You can YouTube it or show you how to do it. I'll tell you why it's a bad idea. Huh? Let me show you something here. Let me grab some of this. It's something I carry with me just in case students' pistols have problems and know it's not the meat I'm talking about here. This has some good beef here. Anything I need to do with a Glock, pretty much, I've got this stuff to do it with. But there's a reason why. You're going to show us why not to do the 25 cent trigger job? See those? See those? The ones that failed? No. Those are all good. 
There's a reason why I carry them. Because people have done it, bring it to class, fail, sell them on the spot. It doesn't just fail. It turns a Glock 18 into a ghetto trash Glock 18. I did an experiment with that. And I took my handy dandy Dremel tool with a felt tip on it and a little bit of Jewelers Rouge. And uh, I just put a little polish on the back side of this firing pin lug, even though this is a striker, it's called a firing pin lug. And put a little polish. Those are for a 40. I can't visually tell them apart. Is your trigger and trigger bar. Notice that for a Glock 17, that's your trigger smooth. And well, you just put a little polish here on the tab that engages your safety plunger and put a little polish here on the back side of your crucifix. And boy, it makes for a nice smooth pull. After all, you're not removing any metal, right? You're just giving a little polish so it's, it's a little bit smoother. But people fail to take into account that these parts are plated. Mm. That plating hardens the metal. So if you polish past that plating, which doesn't take much, what do you think happens when the corner of that firing pin lug goes from being a nice sharp angle to being just rounded just a little bit. Yeah. Okay. And the, and the thing is, is that for the average person, average shooter, You take and, and you do this 25 cent trigger job, you can go probably about a year, two years, a couple of thousand rounds, and it'll fail. The only thing that you ever need to do if you want to lighten the trigger a little bit on your Glock, let's get you a three and a half pound connector. I a Glock three and a half pound connector. Well, I prefer either the Ghost. Rocket connector? You do? Why? Oh, yeah. Because you don't need a department letterhead to buy one. <laughs> you know, why on earth can you buy a Glock 34 or a Glock 35 that comes standard with a 3.5 pound Glock connector, which is actually a 4.5 pound connector? Comes stock in the pistol. But in order to get one for your 17, your 19, your 26, your 27, mm -hmm. you've got to have a department letterhead to buy that 3.5 pound connector. That's a good point. Okay. Uh, I found that, that the. Uh, the rockets, they work fine. Uh, Lone Wolf makes a three and a half pound connector that works just fine. But a three and a half pound connector, all the other parts stock, and you can take. And I just pulled out a second ago. I'll pull it back out again. Titanium coated safety plunger. I think these things run about 16 bucks or so. What's the benefit of that? Well, 
titanium is just slick. Okay, so you have the same amount of metal that you've got to push up so that this slot that's cutting it matches your firing pin so your firing pin can go forward. But it just makes for a very slick surface. Without ever touching your trigger bar, crucifix, firing pin lug engagement. If you need a trigger pull measured by a pound and a half, two pounds, whatever, for a competition gun, get a 1911. You know, anybody here have a problem with a five-pound trigger press? I have no problem with it. That's what I that's prefer. What, that's what comes on most 1911. I prefer the stock trigger. Now, I've got one from Kimber Custom Shop that came with about a three-and-a-half-pound trigger. Yeah, that's from the Custom Shop. Um, you want a trigger press that's manageable. Manageable trigger press, you know, five to six pounds is fine. A good positive trigger reset, and you're good to go. But guys, that, that monkey, I would never suggest anybody monkey with the factory parts on a carry gun. Now, there's people that tell you that, well, you know, if you put a three and a half pound connector on your gun and, and you put in this, this uh, safety plunger, then, you know, you'll put yourself into liability. Hey, if it's a bad shoot, it's a bad freaking shoot. I don't think that you can go anywhere in the U.S. and not find several block shooters that have replaced these parts with simple rocket parts with lone wolf parts. I mean, heck, my whole top slide, this whole thing is lone wolf. The whole thing, even the barrel. Yeah, any pretty little gold safety plunger in that. It's not a big deal. But getting a trigger press that's so light that it drops when the ink parts, that's, that's not reasonable. That's not smart. So, you know, stick with factory parts for the most part. If you want to replace the connector, replace it with a known quantity with a company that, that, that makes several of them. Um, lighting strikes. Everything that I'm holding up here was all bought from one source tactical. We don't sell crap. So if you want to, to dress up your trigger a little bit with this, it's not a big deal. But the two-pound triggers and the three-pound triggers, not necessary at all whatsoever. A light trigger press does not make up for proper cartridge fundamentals and being a good shot. Jack with those parts, you are, like I said, the 25 cent trigger job, you are, you're dicking with the reliability of your pistol. I'd rather have a five pound press that goes bang every single time I press a trigger than one that's marginally lighter and you may end up with a light primer strike. So would I. You know, it's not, it's, it's not a, 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 a huge issue, you know. Learn your fundamentals, learn your grip, side alignment, sight picture, breath control, trigger press, trigger reset, and rock on. I've got an AR that I've put probably about 3,000 rounds through so far that doesn't need anything done to the trigger. It was grittier than dragging a cat across broken glass when I first got it. 
But you know, everyone that's been on Bob's forums heard of the, the one thousand round trigger job. Who, whoever came up with that? I, I take credit for it. Anyway. <laughs> Actually, I didn't come up with that. I'm just borrow, borrowing it. I don't borrow anything. If I'm going to take it, I take it. Okay, I stole it. There you go. But uh, the important thing about that, that 1,000 round trigger job is okay, you are mating the, the, the metal engagement surfaces of that pistol together. You don't have to use live ammo to do that. You can dry practice that thing until you've got a blister on your finger. Anybody here today, if you check the middle finger of your shooting hand, like mine, I've got, here, I'll flip everybody off. Yeah, mine does that too. I've got a pronounced palace right there. I can tell you what that's not from doing. Okay? That is, that is a lot of dry practice and a lot of time on the range. Um, that thousand round repetition will, inc will increase your confidence in your pistol. It will break your pistol in, so to speak. Everything will just work smoother because it's been shot, it's been used. Break, breaks the shooter in, too. Breaks the shooter in. You know, and there's a difference between going out and practicing your fundamentals and checking what you're doing and going out and blasting. And everybody's seen the guy on the range when you get there in the afternoon and he's just burning through magazines, shooting as fast as he possibly can, getting absolutely nothing done, but sending a lead down range. You know what, if that's how he wants to spend his money, God bless him. I prefer to use mine for something a little more productive. So just keep that in mind. You know, how long does it take, you know, two, three times a week shooting 100 rounds a session? <laughs> I mean, right now, is cheap. You can go to Walmart and buy 100 rounds for less than $10 a box. Like I was buying 9 millimeter ammo for that back in 1988. $9 a box. Same brand. Not 100 rounds. No. No, still, I was buying a 50-round a 50 box for 9 bucks. So you tell me after 22 years, it's only gone up a dollar a box? And I don't mind that inflation so much. Besides that, okay, say... Uh, you should have on hand any time. I like to keep about, about a thousand rounds of training ammo on hand. You know, shoot a few boxes. If I shoot two, I'll buy three. If you need to reload, get you a good reloader, like a Dylan. Dylan will put out 500 rounds in an hour. Just be careful and, and follow the instructions. I mean, reloading is not rocket science. Um, yeah, I wouldn't suggest using cast lead bullets and Glock barrels unless you, unless you're using lone wolf barrels that have traditional rifling. But uh, you, know, you can pick up, you know, save all your brass, pick up some primers, pick up some powder, pick up some some plate protecting rounds. You don't feel like doing that? Heck, you can always buy a 22 conversion for your for your Glock mm -hmm. or for your NMP or Browning High Power 1911. I, sh I shot half of the PSP class with a 22 conversion just because I could. Get to really work your immediate action drills, as everyone knows how dirty a twenty-two on a rifle is. <laughs> but you know, be thinking about stuff like that. I mean, the stuff that we're working today and we're training on, you can do at home with no ammo. These walking drills, immediate action, 
Get you some dummy rounds. Make you some dummy rounds. Now, I will say, when you dry practice, remove your ammunition from the room that you're doing it in. And once you're done, you're done. Don't go back and say, well, one more time, because that's when you either shoot the cat or blow up the lamp or hit the TV. Some cats need shooting. Really <laughs> <laughs> so, my neighbor's cats need some shooting. <laughs> Dry practice is, is very is a very important part of your training. Get you familiar with your pistol. That pistol is not a mechanical object at the end of your hand. It's a part of you. So with that, I'm going to go dehydrate again. Anybody that hasn't gone at least four times is a loser. And, uh, and we'll get started again. Thanks, John. That's good stuff. Good stuff. Just remember, if nothing else, lighter is not always better. Okay, Rick. So, what do you think of the? Uh, uh, we're almost done with the first day here. What did you? What have you learned so far? Uh, I guess mostly the focus is the, uh, the shooting the move. Kind of picked up more of that. Uh, some of the other classes, you know, done some of the other drills, but like the course close quarter contact and things like that. But the motion drill was a little more. Unusual. Now, when you mean that we said the motion drill, you mean the moving left and moving right? Correct. Yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> what, did, what did you get out of that? Oh, I think it, it, you're avoiding the sidestep. You're walking. You're actually like, you're telling you're walking in the direction of the back. You know, you're not doing the sidestep, slide step. And right. Moving. You're, make, you're letting your body do what right. it's supposed to do. Now, I've shot competition with you. How does this differ? Hmm. <sighs> I don't know really as far as uh, you're kind of just turned loose when you do the competition. Whatever works for you works. And this yeah. is more of a little training and learning and, you know, it may be a little different than you're used to in your style. So kind of like with the always, you know, I guess some of the things on the podcast. I don't know if it's you or mentioned or somebody else, like take what you like, ignore the rest. You know, somebody is always going to give you things that you haven't done before and you learn right. that work for your style. Take the best, leave the rest. There you go. Exactly. So... You're running your M&P, right? Correct. M&P 9mm. Mm -hmm. Full size. Running? Seems to be working fine. Uh, this is one I've not ever had any problems with. I've uh, done it in one of the uh, Tiger Valley two-day classes. I've run that there. Actually, I've run the, uh, in some of their Tuesday night uh, classes. And um, shot the 45 in one of the other training classes, too. And that worked fine, the M&P. So, good. Yeah, it's working. I'm, I'm happy with it. Good. Feels good in hand. and grips and all that stuff, recoils nice and controlled, being polymer and And it's it's been running flawless. I've been I've been kinda of watching it. You haven't had any problems at all. No, it's all me with fumbling the bags and yep. <laughs> stuff like that. Now okay, so from shooting retention from from retention right up on the side uh -huh. of your, your body. Have you done that before? Yes. Okay. Um, what do you what do you what do you think? You think that's a good thing to practice? Oh yeah, I think and there's different ways of doing it. Uh, some other guys, maybe in the, even in some of the other classes here, I don't know. Some of them, like you're leaning into it, uh, kind of maintain a control of the guy as you're shooting. Other times, you know, other trainers and stuff that I've been to, is you, you take your hand and you try to stuff their nose to their face, take a few steps back, Give and then start hammering at them. Yeah. So, uh, we were practicing that a little bit here. Oh, yeah. Give them a little bit. Good. Thank you. No problem. 
Whenever you see big city mayors campaigning for gun control, rows of uneasy-looking police officers are forced to stand behind the mayors. The reason our police friends are uneasy is they don't buy into the mayor's political scam. The president of the Black Police Caucus said his members believe there should be no gun rationing and nearly 100% of their membership thinks criminals are able to obtain guns through illegal means. Likewise, 94% of the National Association of the Chiefs of Police believe that citizens should be able to purchase firearms for self-defense and sporting purposes. Maybe this is why billionaire New York Mayor Michael Bloomberg called the 32,000-member Fraternal Order of Police a fringe group, because unlike Michael, cops know who the good guys are, namely you, not Bloomberg. Arm yourself with facts to strip the gun control industry bare. Visit gunfacts.info and get your free copy of Gun Facts. Called Indispensable by Cam Edwards of NRA News, Gun Facts is your rapid reference guide to debunking gun control myths and shaming politicians into obedience. www.gunfacts.info That double feed's a good reason to, uh, to carry an extra mag. Oh, most definitely. I think we, we discussed that on your form a little bit, didn't we? Yeah, a little bit, yeah. Why carry an extra mag in case you have a double feed? Because if you, you can't clear a double feed with a tap rack and bang. No, you cannot. There's only one way to clear a failure to extract, and that's how I showed you. you know, <laughs> that your first response is, ah, boom. Oh, that, that didn't work. <laughs> so, you know, you get to rip that magazine out, fresh magazine in, run that slide back on the target. And if you don't have, if you're not carrying the extra magazine, if you don't have the spare magazine to put in there, you got basically one shot left in the fight. That's it. Exactly. Yeah, you could you could take the mag out, hold it, rack it, hold it, rack the slide. Well, yeah. You could do that. Yeah, that's a that might be a lot more fumbling around though. Hey, if you only got one mag, that's true. Look, you're going through all the trouble to carry a handgun to begin with. Well, how much more trouble is it to carry an extra magazine or an extra gun? You know, if I don't if I don't carry an extra gun, it's because I've you know. Sometimes it's number two. Sometimes it's number one. So, John, given the choice, would you rather have a spare magazine or a backup gun? Okay, I know me. I know me better than anybody else knows me. So, my, my first uh, reaction would be, I'm going to carry a spare mag before I carry an extra gun. Why? Even if I'm carrying an extra gun, I'm carrying a spare magazine and extra ammo for the extra gun. But why would you carry a spare mag... And not like a backup gun. You know, how much real estate are you willing to tie up to, to two guns? Okay. Three magazines. Then what's the purpose you know? of, a, of a backup gun? Well, in case you have a, a malfunction that you can't a, clear. A, a major stoppage you can't clear. Um, if somebody gets your primary away from you. Okay. Or better yet, Bob, you know, hey, Bob, let's go have lunch today. All right. Uh, oh, man, there's freaking shit going on. Hey, you don't have your gun? Here. You can arm somebody next to you. Yep. Exactly. Um, we used to have a policy with the police department that even if a citizen had a CHL, if they were riding with us, they could not carry. 
because they're not covered by our insurance, so to speak. You know what I mean? So, what I would do, especially with somebody I knew, it's like, hey, I'm not telling you to carry a gun. What I am telling you is there just may so happen to be a spare pistol in the console of this patrol car. <laughs> it might have found its way there. You know? And the shotgun is above your head in the rack. You know, so if it gets so bad that you've got to get on the trigger, well, I ain't worried about being sued. you got to be alive to get sued. <laughs> Better so, problem to have. Exactly. Yeah. Heck, I've been sued before. It's no big deal. Have a good attorney. Who's your best friend after a shooting's taking place? Why? Your attorney is your best friend after a legal enforcement center because you pay him to be. All right, gentlemen. In case you didn't know, the police will lie to you. Only if you're a turd. Yeah, that, I won't say they'll flat out not lie to you, but I, I tell you one thing. Uh, my experience is is that whoever made the phone call that one of the police there, yep. they're, they're going to get some credibility just for being the first one to call. It's just human nature. Um, you know, I had I had a case not that long ago that uh, I. Big old spider right here on the floor. Oh yeah, it was, I was messing with the second ago. Up on the floor now. Where'd he go? Up that guy. Anyway, um, the call was aggravated assault just taking place. Actor was driving a silver Ford pickup truck, and uh, I'd been running some calls with the game warden, and it just so happens here comes this truck right past me. So you know, hot pursuit. Game stop. Felony takedown. You know, he's had a knife. He's been involved in a, you know, some places it's called a stabbing, and rural areas it's called a cutting. <laughs> but uh, anyway, but felony takedown. Well, he had been involved in a fight. He had used a knife. Uh, he wasn't the the one who called. His uh, daughter's ex-boyfriend had been taunting this guy for months. Driving through his yard, making ruts, doing donuts, uh, just general turd terrorist shit. And so the old man's like, "Hey, I see him at the gas station, so I'm gonna go give him a piece of my mind. Maybe, you know, strum him a few times." Well, he went over and he confronted the guy and said, "Hey, you know, you need to stay the hell off my property, stay away from my stuff, quit driving through my yard. I'll beat your ass." You know, they, well, they started getting into a fist fight. Well. Bad guys don't always travel in singles. They have to travel in pairs. And so the other guy, the turd's buddy, grabs the man, and now they're both blaming on him. He grabs a knife. Who do you think called the police? Turds called the police. That's why I had to take that felony ticket down on that guy. The guy was arrested for aggravated assault. 
You know, it, it, it took, uh, took some, some legal maneuvering and stuff and attorneys to, to get the full story out of exactly what happened, plus the tapes from the gas station. Yeah, was he within his, his rights to uh, to deploy that night to defend himself? Some say yes, but at the same time, he introduced himself into a, a lethal force encounter. And when we went into what we call mutual combat, he just didn't know the odds when he was starting out. He thought he did. Wasn't a bad guy, but he almost got shot. So keep that in mind. Uh, anyway, we got some more some more material to cover. Find my spot again for. Okay, we're gonna look at uh, the contact ready position, midpoint ready, or and then close contact ready and Sewell. And we're gonna use each, each of them to get into the fight. Ballistic effect. Stopping power is a myth. Doesn't exist. Put a burst in their chest. If they don't go down, put a burst in their face. Yeah. So it, it's all what the situation dictates. And I think you just said something important because that's that's a good rationale for a high capacity weapon. So you have enough rounds to put a burst in their chest and a burst in their face. I don't think anybody's ever lost a gunfight from having too many BBs. We don't spray and pray. The high-capacity pistols, I mean, come on. This is 2011. Even the 40 models hold 16 minimum. You know, compact 40. Okay, so you got 13 in the magazine, one in the pipe. Me, I like carrying it with 13, just because that's my lucky number. <laughs> but, I got a question. Sure. After you do your 360 scan, and you come back and you check yourself, find something and you don't and you're not I mean you see blood dripping or pouring do you go ahead and finish all your stuff or do you tend to it right then or as long as you're not feeling the effects I want to make sure that as soon as I've noticed there's a problem I'm make sure my gun's still ready for a fight and then I'm going to check myself as soon as I possibly can whatever I need to do when you call 911 uh as soon as I can as, as, as soon as you can if you're not going to address it until you is it as long Still move, then why do you why do you do it before you? Correct. Well, you want to know if there's a problem. You got to do it one. It's like if you did the productive reload first and then check yourself. You still got to check yourself. Right. You know? So, yeah, if there's a problem, I want to know about it. So that that that's why I do it that way. You know, uh, a productive reload is to make sure that your gun's still good for the fight. I mean, could you still have four rounds in the magazine one five? Yeah. Is five rounds enough? Some people go their entire lives carrying a J front, you tell me. Five rounds is really not enough for me. I want them. I want it all. <laughs> yeah, I'll take every advantage I possibly can get. Is your life worth sixteen rounds? Mine is. There's no such thing as a fair fight. The only good fight's the one that you win, and the best gun fight's the one you avoid. All about situational awareness, knowing what's going on around you. You know, following the simple 
three S rules. You ever heard those? Three S's? Stay away from stupid people doing stupid things in stupid places? <laughs> You'd be amazed how much shit that you can avoid by following a simple rule. Sometimes those stupid people bring the stupid things to you and there's not a damn thing that you can do about it. You know, you can be doing everything absolutely right and still die. And I'm living proof of that. Uh, December 2nd, 2008, my daughter was killed in a car crash. 18 years old. She was in the passenger seat. She was seat belted in. The car she was in was hit on the driver's side. But he hit him at 90 miles an hour in a 35 mile hour zone. It ripped her aorta from her heart. She bled out. She died instantly. She was doing everything right. She was seat belted in. She was in the passenger side. Sometimes you can do everything right and you can still lose. But I also have a standing rule that you can die on your feet like a man on your belly like a coward. If you get one bad guy, you're eating. If you get two, you're ahead. The only thing I'd worry about is what's going to happen to my wife and my, and my son. But uh, you really want to do something that's going to that's going to damage me real good. Do something to someone I love. You know, a close friend, family, loved one. Yeah. And you know, I'll be damned if that's going to happen again on my walk. The, the Spaniards have a saying: "Better to bring me tobacco in jail than flowers in my grave." You can get out of jail. You can't get out of dead. What are you willing to give up? Because at this point in my life, I'm not really willing to give up a whole lot. I know that you know, when trouble finds me again, and, and pretty much uh, odds are that before my life's over, I'll be in the shit again. So what? I'd hate to live a boring life. Maybe someday when I'm older, sipping freaking Mai Tais on a beach in the freaking Caribbean, we can talk about it. But uh, you've got to have the will to win. You have to have the will to fight. And you have to understand that the pistol on your hip, it doesn't solve all your problems. You know, it's not a fix-all easy button, so to speak. Sometimes you may not be able to go to guns. Sometimes you may have to go, go to hands, feet, elbows. You know? What are you willing to do to survive? What are you willing to do to go home? Because there's people out there that wish to do you harm for no other reason than that you're a good person, you're God-fearing, and you believe in taking care of yourself and your family, and they want what you have. And they don't want to put in the work to get it. It all revolves around putting in the work to get what you want. You know, I've had people tell me, man, John, when you run that pistol, it's just like, you know, just so natural. But it didn't start that way. Work, 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 work. Not only that, but it's easy to go to the range and to practice something you're good at. And tomorrow we're going to find out what, what y'all been working on. Because we don't have a strong side and a weak side. We have a left and we have a right. So, um... We got 30 minutes left in today's training day. Um, get some magazines, get your lights, 
we're going to look at flashlight sh flashlight shooting techniques and how they work, the things that you can do to maximize their effectiveness. Yeah, who else has been through about 12 bottles of water today? Nine. When you get home this evening, you cool off and you start to get a little headache back here. You know what that's called? A dehydration headache. Everything we've done so far today, you can do at home with no ammo. Your ready positions, Sewell, checking your six. I've even taken a clock and put in a trigger kit. Y'all all seen the dry fire trigger kits, right? Yep. They're not hard to install. If you don't have it already, I would suggest if you if you are shooting a Glock, you go to One Source Tactical and order the uh, Glock Armor DVD by Cope Reynolds. There's more information on that DVD than there is in the actual eight-hour Glock Armors class. We install you a trigger kit, which means it resets itself. You don't have to work your slide. <laughs> You can get you a yellow training barrel and install it, so there's no chance of shooting live ammo. There's no shoot, you can't shoot live ammo with the trigger kit anyway. The back of the crucifix has been cut off. Get you some of those blue training magazines. They're weighted. Let you run the slide, do your proactive reloads and reloads. You can get in an hour's worth of practice and never shoot a live round. I'll make you a better gunfighter. I'll make you very uh, capable with your gun handling. Gun handling skills. If you've noticed that you've had problems using extended magazines on your pistol, take note of that. Because this is a, hey, this caused you problems out here. What kind of problems would it cause in the real world? Good way to check your gear, isn't it? Check it out here so you ain't got to check it out there. Yep. Mistakes that you make, make them here. We can correct them here. Yeah, the mistakes that I don't condone and I just can't get along well with very much at all is the blatant disregard of the safety rules. Putting your finger on the trigger when it has no business being there. Sweeping through with your muzzle. You pretty much take care of those two things and we won't have any issues at all whatsoever. Being conscious of what you're doing with your muzzle and knowing what you're doing with your trigger finger. Before we get to flashlights, let me show you how... What we've just done ties into things we did earlier. Eyes and ears in place. Okay, I'm with Magnus. And, uh, Magnus, tell me what you thought of day one of close-range gunfighting. It was really good. It started out uh, with all the basics that you should probably know already if you're carrying a gun and went to really advanced skills like after-action assessment and other types of drill using flashlight at the end. So it was really... Covered really a good spectrum of different things. What did you think of the after-action assessment, checking the 360 and and Sewell and everything? I th think that was definitely the best part of it. That alone is pretty much worth the uh, admission. Worth the admission. Great, yeah. come on over. Great. What about you? Uh, what did you think of the after-action assessment, all that stuff? 
it was uh, it was definitely something that I haven't been exposed to in, in any of the other training I've taken. Um, and uh, I knew a little bit about it. I knew we were going to cover that because, of course, Magnus had read about the course and told me all about it before I came. So it was uh, it was a little scary, and it was a little scary. Why was it scary? Well, because there were people with, with live guns, you know, breaking that 180, kind of coming around. I mean, the gun was pointed at the ground, obviously, but... We weren't sweeping anybody we weren't with sweeping. the muzzle. Exactly, but it was it was it was something you know that as much as you know you handle guns and IDPA and whatever else, that's not something that's a big no no, right? Well, it's a no no in competition in IDPA and USPSA, yes, but it's a necessary thing in self defense. And when you take it a course like this, right. uh, what I like about that is it's a way to it's a way to check what's behind you, check for bad guys behind you without sweeping any good guys that might be around, right? right. Yeah. Right. What do you guys think of that? Yeah, and, and I like the idea um, that you can actually move through a crowd and not cover anyone. That was that was something. Right, moving through a crowd and not covering anybody with the muzzle of your gun, not sweeping anybody. Yeah. Yeah. What do you think, Magnus? You think you think that's... Uh, what, what, were you a little intimidated by the check in the sewer or no? Well, We're checking the, the 360. Well, like Greg mentioned, when you've been doing a lot of the IDPA, you're kind of programmed to never break the 180 rules. So it takes, you really have to get a grasp that it's going to be safe since yeah. you show it in real detail. See, and this is why I believe, and I've said this on the show many times, I believe in mixing competition with training classes like this because, you know, you can learn from both. You know, there's a lot of people that like to get on the forum and other forums that are out there saying, oh, you know, competition is just a BS game and you're never going to get anything from it. I don't know if I believe that, but you can learn to shoot from cover and things like that. You can learn good gun handling. But when you come here to close range gunfighting, I think here you're, we're, we're, ta we're talking about how to, how to defend ourselves, aren't we? Yeah, it's a really good balance. I think it's a really good balance to balance between the competition shooting and training classes like this. So you keep owning your gun skills on a regular basis and not just once a year or often you take a class. Yeah. Now, Magnus, you're from Sweden, right? Right. Okay. So Greg tells me that you've got some interesting stuff to talk about oppressive gun laws in Sweden, right? Tell us a little bit about that. Sure. Uh, there's no concealed carry. I'm not even sure if... No uh, concealed carry. <laughs> well, we're lucky here, aren't we? Yeah, I'm not even sure if uh, off-duty police officers are allowed to carry Really? I'm not sure. I've never heard of anything like that. And if you want to own a pistol, then you have to join a pistol club and participate in competitions for a year. Then you're allowed to buy. Wait, 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 wait. Just to just to buy a pistol? Yeah. You have to correct. join a club and compete for a year. Yes, for a full just year. to qualify to buy a pistol. Yes, yes. And that's too excessive. I mean, I'm a believer in training. And I've kind of caught some heat on this show before about suggesting that maybe carry, uh, training should be required for concealed carry. I understand the reasoning against that, but that's kind of oppressive in Sweden, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, no, it's definitely oppressive. And in when I grew up, we didn't have a lot of gun violence. But now, in more recent years, they've started having a lot of gun problems. And of course, only the bad guys get the whole thing. Wait, 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 hold on, hold on. Gun problems in Sweden? Correct, correct. But yeah. guns are, well, no, guns aren't banned. Guns aren't banned, really. Very, very restrictive. But let's just say it's a uh, it's a very restrictive. So, wait, wait. So, you mean the restrictive gun laws are not reduce, is not reducing the gun violence? No, no. It's just 
this means that the good guys just don't have any way of defending themselves. Are you learning a way to defend yourself here? Yeah, at, yeah. At this weekend? Yeah, I think they've been talking really a lot of good ways of being... Out of this first day, what's the one thing you've taken away from it that makes you more confident in defending yourself with a gun? What would that be? Well, um, again, the learning, learning the position tool was uh, interesting. Um, some of the work that we did with the flashlight was also kind of a good takeaway. Those are, and, and, and the fact that uh, all of the things that we learned here today um, are things that you can practice at home by yourself, you know, in a dry fire situation. See, you, you hit the nail on the head, and, and, and it's, it's what I would have said if, if I would have asked myself the question. <laughs> and that is, is that everything we've learned, we can do it in dry fire. However, I think it's important to come to a class like this so that you get it first. And to do it live, there's nothing like doing it live. But now I can go home and I can practice this dry fire. And I'll tell you what, I'll give a little personal testimonial here. I took this course, let's see, this is May. This is the end of May. I started telling myself, man, I forgot that. Oh, I forgot that too. Oh, I forgot that too. Sewell position of your gun. And, uh, you know, uh, I'm not going to try to explain what a Sewell position is on an audio podcast. You just have to... You got to come to these classes. Right? Shooting on the move, I thought was was good too. And, and while we get some of that in IDPA, it's typically, you know, just kind of in a transition to another cover. You may not get one in the, even in the Halloween competition that you go to. So this, we had an opportunity to move back and forth and do quite a lot of, of shooting while moving. Yeah. Which, Magnus, in the unfortunate event you happen to find yourself having to use your gun in self-defense, are you going to stay still? No, I don't think it's a good idea to stand still. So the sh- shooting on the move helping you? Yeah, yeah. I also thought that I didn't. I didn't count. I'm gonna know because I, I set aside a thousand rounds for this class, and so I'll be able to. Tomorrow, when we come back, tell us how much. You okay. I think I was. I kind of lost count, but I think I went through about two forty. Okay. Something like that. I was intentionally trying to <laughs> put a few more rounds, but when I had an opportunity to to dump a bag on the target, I, I, took, I took. Fun, it. isn't it? <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> Well, and that's the thing is, you know, we just, we're doing things here that we just simply can't do at a square range, but more or less, we can't even do this stuff in IDPA and USPSA. Right. Right. Because like you said, some of this stuff will get us disqualified. But we're doing it, we're doing it in a safe manner here. Right. Right. We're being safe. We're not being reckless and irresponsible. And of course, IDPA, you know, in one one stage, I mean, maybe you'll shoot 20, 30 rounds and, you know, here in a day, you know, you get to shoot several hundred rounds. Several hundred rounds. And so, you know, IDPA, it's it's shoot and wait for 20 minutes and maybe then you get to shoot again for another 20 minutes. And this moves at a pretty good pace. Yeah. Yeah, I like that. All right. Yeah. All right. So, um, Magnus, wrapping up the first day. Final thoughts? My thoughts? I can't wait for tomorrow. There's <laughs> more repetitions and hopefully some new concepts that we didn't get to today. There will be. I won't steal John's class from him. I, I know what some of them are, although I've forgotten some of them from last time, but you'll, we're going to have some fun tomorrow. And John is a really good trainer, so you really get a lot of good information that he talks about in between breaks and mm-hmm. before and after each exercise. Yeah, Greg, what did you think of some of the... Um, some of his uh, his commentary between shooting stages. I learned a lot. I, I, I did too. In fact, I talked about things like blocks and, and how you kind of moved away from that at some point. And, and he, he reiterated that. He kind of echoed some of the things I've heard you say on your podcast about how he basically... And 
I haven't made any modifications to the, to the Glock that I that I have to shoot, um, and I don't plan to make any basically because you know he reaffirmed that. I'll politely disagree with John on changing out the connector. I I, I like Glock brand connectors. I think if you're gonna if you own a Glock and you're gonna change out the trigger connector, the connector bar. And I, some people may disagree with me on this. That's okay. But I like to stick with Glock brand. And I'll tell you why. Because I just start to think about the mindset, not the mindset. I start to think about the aftermath of shooting. And I don't want somebody hanging over my head that I put a part in that gun that might make it unsafe. If it's a Glock approved part, then they can't say that. If it's a Glock made take but otherwise uh did you are you shooting your stock yeah mine is, is a stock uh, Glock 17 stock Glock 17 yep i forgot what sites do you have on? i just got the stock Glock size uh, i haven't even made that change yet i think i'm going to though um i'm uh, magnus and i've talked about that off and on for a while and i've, uh, I've kind of gone back and forth i mean I, I just need to get it done I, yeah i i, I uh, what are you leaning towards as far as sights after going through this I first like, day i'd like to get a fiber optic front I don't okay. know, really know about the black, the back sight, but uh, I want something small. I at one point I was considering the uh, the big dots, but after there was a demonstration today about the big dots, and I, I actually heard some things about that too. How at, at a distance they'll cover up the entire target, and so having heard that, um, I, I have just blade sights on a 1911 that I shoot, and uh, I, I I like those. I mean they're kind of hard in low light situations to kind of make them out, but. Uh, I'm thinking of fiber optic front, and that's what I see a lot of guys. Good. Magnus, I forgot. What are you training with today? I brought my uh, M&P full-size 9. That's stock. right. It's your M&P 9mm. That's right. Is your trigger stock on that? Yeah. Everything, everything stock on it? Yeah, everything is stock. And uh, after a 1,000 rounds or so, I, I don't mind the trigger pull at all. So you've given it a 1,000-round trigger job. Yeah. How about that? All right. Guys, thanks. appreciate it. Well, what do you think? I uh, I tried to bring, I tried to give you some some good info from the first day. Some of that was the sec part of the second day. So you know, uh, by the time I put this whole podcast together and decided to edit it and put it all together and then upload it for you, I decided to take some of day two and stick it in there. But I didn't want it to run too long, so that's why you only got part of day two. See, even if you listen into some of the lectures that go on in some of these classes, and that's what I wanted you to do, because even though we're shooting, even though we're going out to the range, we're stepping up to the line and we're practicing our, our shooting skills and we're practicing our, our self-defense skills with a gun. Pretty cool, huh? Even though we're doing that, we take some time between each stage, so to speak, or between each string, to talk to talk about what it is that we're trying to accomplish and what it is that we're trying to learn. So, I really don't have much else for you to uh, listen to, and I have nothing else to add to that. I would like to say this, um, as, as I'm closing here. I'm looking for people who would like to contribute to today's survival show. So I'm going to put a call out to all of you listeners before I sign off. I could use your help. I could use some guest podcasts. Um, some of you have done it before. Some of you have recorded an audio MP3 file and sent it to me. And I have included it on this show. Um, I'd like to get more of that. And it doesn't have to be very long either. Um, even if you want to just put together five or ten minutes worth of info. 
uh, that's fine. You know, what I can do is I can collect several of them and I can put several of them together from different people. Uh, I mean, I'm working on the process right now where you can call a telephone number and leave me a voicemail. I don't have that set up yet, but I'm working on that. But in the meantime, I'd like to put the call out. If some of you have some information you'd like to share, uh, I don't care how long it is. I mean, you know, don't send me an hour and a half long um, dissertation, but, you know, as long as it's a reasonable length, I, I would love to hear it because I think a lot of other people would like to hear from some of the skill sets that you folks have out there and the ideas that you have. Now, there's a program, there's a software program on the Internet called You Send It. You Send It.com. That's a great way to send to me. It's free, by the way. They have a free version of You Send It. Uh, as long as you're not going to be sending, you know, multiple files every single week, the free version should work out pretty well for you. That's a good way for you to send me a file, especially if it's a large file that's, you know, too many megabytes to email. But if it ends up being something small, uh, you might be able to just email it to me to, you know, my uh, my Gmail account. And if you don't have my Gmail address, just uh, send me an email at bobatodayssurvival.com, and I'll send you back my Gmail address. And uh, that's probably the best way to, uh, to get it to me. If you don't use, you send it. Even if you have a comment on the show. I think an audio comment would be great from you. All right, so that's it. That's it for this show, for this episode. And I really appreciate you tuning in. My name is Bob Main. You've just listened to another episode of today's survival show. You just kind of got a little bit of a synopsis of close-range gunfighting class, defensive pistol class. And it's my goal to help you do what you can with what you have, wherever you are. Thanks for tuning in, folks. I'll catch you next time.